Hi, and welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast, the place for all things kids yoga. My name is Jessica Mujis, and after teaching kids yoga for over a decade and being immersed in the industry, I created this podcast as a warm and supportive place for parents, teachers, caregivers, and kids yoga professionals to gather. Episodes include conversations with kids yoga teachers, business owners, and authors, child development experts, informational episodes on specific kids yoga topics, yoga adventures for children, and even the voices of children themselves. It is my hope that you can come here each week and gain inspiration and form connection with your fellow kids yoga community. Welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, and welcome back to the Kids Yoga Podcast. My name is Jessica. This week, I am joined by Kathy Kasani Adams. Kathy is a self-awareness educator focused on parenting and the personal empowerment of women and young girls. She's a licensed clinical social worker, certified parent coach, certified elementary school teacher, certified yoga teacher, and she teaches in the sociology department at Dominican University. She's the author of The Self-Aware Parent, The Self-Aware Parent 2, and Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. Her most recent book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World, will be published in February of 2022. For 10 years, she and her husband, Todd, have hosted Zen Parenting Radio, a top 10 kids and family podcast on iTunes, and they are the creators of the Zen Parenting Conference held in Chicago. Kathy is a sought-after parenting and female empowerment speaker. She created, facilitated a self-awareness program for pre-adolescent girls called BU, and she was a child and family therapist slash clinical educator at Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Kathy was a blogger for the Huffington Post and a former columnist for Chicago Parent Magazine. She's a frequent guest on WGN Radio, and her parent coaching has been the focus of a CBS News report, as well as a Fox News special report. She's been featured several times in Parents Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, Ebony Magazine, Crane's Chicago Business, Today's Chicago Woman, and West Suburban Magazine. Okay, Kathy, welcome. Thank you for having me, Jessica. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you could do this. And as I mentioned in emails with you, I've been listening to your podcast since my five-year-old was a baby. And it, this is weekly. So every Tuesday, it's a part of my week. And I just love it. So it's just, it's an honor to talk to you. Um, so much I want to find out. And I guess we'll start with yoga for you. Yeah. So when did you first start practicing yoga and how did it impact your life? Well, I think I, I remember taking a yoga class when I was like 27 and just to even back up further than that, my mom was into yoga when I was little and I totally made fun of it. My mom was like really crunchy when she was, when I was little, you know, health food stores, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I thought it was really funny that I was taking a yoga class myself. I was 27 and then it was kind of, you know, I was kind of in and out and, and it didn't mean much to me yet, but then after I had my first daughter, so I think I was around 31 or 32, I was like, I really, I need to do something. My body just didn't feel the same. And I needed to do something to move in a different way, to breathe in a different way. There happened to be a yoga studio. I live in, I live outside of Chicago and there was this yoga studio not too far from where I lived. And so I started going regularly and had the, you know, us yoga teachers get really deep about this, but had the like, oh my gosh, this is where everything is. Right. You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, I feel better. Um, I think better. Um, I feel more rested. You know, I had all of those kind of experiences with it. And then when I was about 36 or 37, cause I remember, I know Skylar had been born. That's my third. Um, I decided I wanted to become a teacher and, and that was, um, 
an interesting decision because I know if you listen to the show, you may have heard me say this before, but I wasn't really sure I wanted to teach. I just really wanted to learn more about studentship as a yogi. And I also wanted to learn how to breathe. And the, the woman who was teaching the, the yoga teacher training, she's like, we're going to, she kept saying, we're going to learn how to breathe. And I was like, that's what I really want to do is I hadn't quite matched emotions with breathing yet. Like I always felt really off and I had a history with anxiety and I'd had panic attacks before. And I was like, I really want to learn how to breathe. So I did this year long, you know, teacher training and I did teach for a while. Um, I did teach at the studio and I taught at a few other places, did a lot of family yoga. Um, but now I I'm 50 years old now, and now I'm back to being full-time student. I, I don't really want to teach anymore, but I still do yoga every day. Um, it's such a part of my identity, not identity. That's a wrong word. It's such a part of my daily experience that I forget that I do it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. You know? It does make sense. So what is it when you say you do it daily? Does that mean that you're on a mat and going through asana or does it kind of change based on where you're at? Great question. Well, most of the time I am on a mat actually doing asana and I, and what's great right now is, is all this is shifted. Like I know when I say I do yoga every day, people are, may picture me in a studio. I'm very rarely in the studio anymore, especially after COVID. Um, what I do right now is my youngest, my 14 year old Skylar is very into yoga. So she and I do it every morning before school. I don't know if that will last and I don't, it, it's okay. She can let it go just like I did for a while, but she wants to do it. It works with my schedule. So she and I do it. It's like a 30 minute practice. It's not that intense. Um, now on the weekends, she's not very interested. She wants to get up late and everything. And so I may do it later in the day. I may just go outside on our deck and do about like five poses that I love. Um, I do it like I said, I kind of do it without thinking because I get up in the morning and I'm all tight and, and I'm so conscious of that feeling that I just need to go do a short practice, even if it's 10 minutes, like I am not a cardio yoga person. I, I I've done those and I've done hot yoga and, and I have no problem with it inherently overall, but I, I'm stretching, opening, breathing, getting my thoughts to chill that's why I do it. So it can last anywhere from 10 minutes to 45 minutes. And no matter how it goes, I'm, I'm, I feel complete with it. <laughs> mm. And I'm just curious, were you able to have that practice when your kids were little or did it start, um, later at when, when they got older to have that morning practice? Um, no, it was very frustrating. I gotta be honest, like, because I, I would want to do it at a certain time. And usually it wouldn't work out. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to do the thing, like, I'm just going to do yoga and you guys kind of hang out and you can get on my mat. And I tried to make it fun for them. And they were just like, go get me this thing. So I had to kind <laughs> yeah. of stop. So I don't honestly, Jessica, I don't know if I'd be honest in saying, I don't remember. I don't remember how many times I did yoga, like during the week when my kids were little, what I do know is that on Saturday morning, I had an 8 a.m. class that I always went to. And I was always so bummed if Todd was gone during the weekend, mm -hmm. because I was like, that was one time I really counted on. And it was a really great class. I love the teacher. Um, and then on the other days, it was on and off. And sometimes I'd get, it was, and I'm sure you can relate. It's frustrating when you start a practice or you're in a pose and they're like, I need to get this, or I fell down or my, you know, my sister's mm -hmm. bugging me or whatever, because it, it takes away from the whole intention, which is I'm trying to chill, but it's also our reality. You know, yeah. like I, I had to practice a lot of acceptance with, if I can get in 10 poses or five poses or three poses is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And, and also on top of that, um, can I carve out one or two days, one or two days a week where I can get to a studio and have a practice where there's nobody around, you know, no children. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. I, before we started recording, I was saying I'm, I'm due with my third soon and I'm yeah. just ready for the impending chaos. But it's like, as a mom of small kids, I feel like I'm constantly just frazzled and yeah, just trying to keep everything going. Um, so, but it's a comfort to know it's like whatever you can get in really. And I do like that idea of having one day a week where you really try to just like have that solo practice. Cause that's way different than when it they're is. around. And you know, this is the way I always thought about it too, is because I'm always, it's kind of like in parenting is a little like playing chess. Like you're always kind of looking ahead, like what's next. And, and I thought about with meditation and with yoga, I didn't want my children to resent that time. 
I didn't want them to look at yoga as something that took me away from them. I didn't want meditation to look that way either, because I wanted them to have their own experience with it that, yeah, mom did that, but it wasn't like, it it wasn't a barrier between me and mom, you know? And so I was kind of always thinking like, if they ever want to practice yoga or meditation ever becomes a part of their life, I don't want them to be like, that was an annoying part of my childhood. So that was kind of the piece too, as I was trying to be not, not teachy, I wasn't lecturing about it, but I was like, I want this to be something they think is cool. Not something they think is, is bad. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to talk about also, um, get to your podcast because like I said, I've been listening every week for four years now. Um, but you guys started 10 years ago yeah. with yeah. this podcast. So this is before everyone had a podcast, you know, now it's like, it's a big thing, but I, so I was curious to hear, like, how was this idea born? Why did you start it 10 years ago? And then like, to now be on, I I think you're like 650 episodes in or something like that to keep it going that long. How is, how have you been able to sustain that? Great question. Um, I, so this is what happened, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I wrote a book and I actually, I self-published it. It was just, it was called the self-aware parent. It was just basically a bunch of essays that I had written. Um, it was like my, working through my identity crisis of being a mom. Um, so it was really for me. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to put this out in the world. So I happened to do an interview with somebody, um, who lived in where they live. They lived in Portland and they were a lovely couple and they had what we would now call a podcast, but I was calling it like a radio show, you know? Um, and they asked me to come on and talk. And then after the interview, they said, you know, you should do a show, a podcast, about what it means to be a self-aware parent. And they're like, yeah, but if you're going to do it, you should probably have somebody to back and forth with. Like you, you should have a discussion partner because it's really boring when someone just like talks for an hour without any interruption. Um, and which I don't necessarily believe that because there's a lot of podcasts I listen to that do that now, but, um, but that was their opinion. So I actually said, okay, my husband will do it with me. I just told them that. And then I went upstairs and Todd was in the kitchen. And I remember saying, I just totally signed you up for something. (laughs) And I was like, and if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But the reason I thought of him first is at the time he was not in this world of wellness or, or yoga or, um, you know, any kind of, he, he wasn't doing besides being a parent himself, he wasn't in this work, but he and I had these conversations, these deep conversations about life all the time. And And so much so that that would annoy our kids. They'd be like, oh my God, stop talking. Like, you know, like let us intervene. So I was like, I know he'd be the right person to have this discussion with. And he and I are very different. So it wouldn't be a bunch of like, oh, I agree. I agree. I agree. Like I knew that we would not agree on everything. And I knew that we knew how to respectfully disagree because the, the, the mother, or excuse me, the man and woman who asked us to do this podcast, they had a show where they would be really like, um, conflictual on purpose is conflictual. The word conflictual sounds like it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to make it up. (laughs) They would try and kind of have an argument and fight. And it always made me uncomfortable. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that because Todd and I know how to disagree with respect. You know, we, we use humor more than anything else. So I was like, this is going to be great. So, I mean, we started and it was so fun. And first of all, like you said, our show is called Zen Parenting Radio, which gives you an idea if I really thought this was radio, (laughs) I didn't know what podcast was. So, but then it became so much a part of our routine and so much a part of the health of our relationship and our family that it was like, you know, how, you know, couples have to get together and talk or go on a date and work things through. Well, we were doing that on the show. And so we were like, we never want to stop doing this. It's like been so great. And, and because you've been listening to the show, you know, that Todd's whole work world, he still works for the same company that he did. He started there when he was 22, but now he also has a men's group and, you know, he's gotten so much more into this world and I've continued to write and go in my own direction. So it's really opened a lot of doors for us. So that's how we started. And we have no desire to stop. I mean, cause it, the great thing about podcasting is like, you put it out there and if people want to listen, they can. And if they don't, that's okay. Like we don't, it's such like a let go allowing, you know, experience. So right now we're just, we're going to keep on trucking as Todd would say. Yeah. I love that so much. (laughs) I can't believe it started like that where you're like, um, you're 
I volunteered you for something and maybe yeah. we'll do it. And now I, I just 10 love years God later. So much. I know because he's so like, that's so different than me. Cause I am so yeah. like, I want to know, I want to understand. I, yeah. I never jump into something like that. And Todd's just so like, okay, okay. He's one of those people and he trusts himself. And, and he also, he's a little more like out there in what he says. And sometimes I have to be like, whoa, you're on the air. People are listening to you. <laughs> right. And we've had to, you know, kind of back up because he's very, he's a little more flippant, but he also is totally open to, oh, explain to me why that wasn't a great thing. Oh, okay. I get that. So I really appreciate his willingness to jump in, um, into, because this has been my world, the world, the wellness world, the, we can call it emotional world, spirituality, therapy. I mean, I don't even know what I am, um, but it's all these pieces. This has been my world since I was born. Like this is all I've ever been interested in. So for him to be like, yeah, I want to investigate. I, I, I really have appreciated his, um, willingness and partnership. Yeah. And it's, it's great. I think one of the reasons I really connect is I'm a lot like you, I relate to you a lot and, and you've explained so many things, um, where I'm like, Oh, like I've had so many moments like that where I'm like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, people are like this. You know, I know you're highly sensitive and all of these things. And then Todd, it reminds me of my husband, whereas it's more rational and he, he doesn't get like, I'm, I'm very emotional and my husband's pretty like steady and easygoing and stuff. So it's so wonderful to listen to you too, like back and forth. Cause I'm, when you're talking, I'm like, I, yes, that's me. And then when he's talking, I'm like, oh, that's, that must be closer to how Steve is thinking, you know? So it's like, I almost understand my relationship better too. Um, and then with your, you know, Zen parenting radio, it, you bring in a lot of parenting, but it's really, um, self-awareness in general and mindfulness. So it's just, it, it can be applied to like really any part of your life. Um, so yeah, I'm so glad to hear that you're like, we're, we're, we're going to keep going. Cause like, I don't know, without my Tuesday episode, I'd be <laughs> very upset. Well, and you know, that's, what's interesting is, um, you can kind of see be, through email and, and everything you, you find out and you know, who's listening to you. And we've got this large group of, uh, college students who listen to us oh. and it's because, and, and I teach at a university. So I often like talk about their experiences, but I, really appreciate that younger people understand that this really isn't about parenting. It can also be about how you were parented. It can be also about how you would like to see the world be parented. You know what I mean? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's universal principles that I kind of feel like parenting is a door that people are willing to walk through because a lot of times on our own, we're like, oh, I don't want to work on that. I don't want to focus on that. Or that's too, that's too deep for me. And then you become a parent, you realize everything's deep and like, okay, I don't know how to manage this. So you're willing to walk through the door, but we're really not saying anything that isn't applicable to a five-year-old, a fifth grader, a college student, a high school student. Like it's all the same, which is why I feel such a groundedness with it because you know, same with grandparents. There's, um, you know, a lot of, we get a lot of emails from grandparents and a lot of questions like this doesn't make sense to me. You know, like there's, it's not, it's not always, it's, it's simple, but not easy kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's, I don't feel like I have to give a different message to anybody. Like it's all the same. And which to me feels very, um, comforting, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever been surprised by, um, I'm sure people reach out all the time that mm-hmm. kind of have resonated. Has there ever been someone that reached out? You were just like surprised that, that they had been listening or that they had gotten something out of the show. Uh, well, I'll ask this question. Do you mean somebody who is like in a celebrity status or do you mean someone who it's like this person used to think completely differently and now they think. They're, they're yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess either one, a kind of like not your typical audience member. Cause you've, right. you've, I'm, I'm just picturing you have over 600 episodes out there and there might be someone that listens to episode 111 or something now, right. and then is contacting you. So you right. must just hear all the time. So somebody, I just got an email about three weeks ago from a man in Beijing and he was, he said he'd been listening to the show for a long time. And the thing that I had helped him the most with was migraines. Because he's had migraines his whole life. And I have as well, not my whole life, but they started in my 20s. And and I talk about them quite a bit because they've taught me a lot about 
um, that I don't have control over everything that I've had to investigate a lot of holistic methods, a lot of more medical, more Western methods. And, and I have also had to deal with shame about it, which for people, mm-hmm. unless you've had a medical condition, it's hard to understand. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm backing up a little bit, but I also experienced two miscarriages and, and I talked about them very openly. And then people would be like, Oh, me too. But nobody knows. And I, mm-hmm. and I, and I do understand the shame, which is why I wanted to talk about it. But in a way I don't like, it's like, I'm, I'm in that paradoxical place where I'm like, because I'm feeling the shame, I want to talk about it. And then as I talk about it, I'm like, why are we ashamed of things that were not within our control? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this email from this man, he was saying, I've had migraines. I've always felt so ashamed that I wasn't doing things right. And I'm kind of listening to you and realizing that they've been good teachers and that I'm going to explore their options. And, and I couldn't have been more, um, I mean, I've written back to him two or three times. Like I loved our conversation because it, it, it has nothing to do with parenting per se. And he yeah. wasn't a parent. He was just like, right. help me with my headaches. So that's an example. You know, yeah. we do get a lot of email, but that was one where I was like, okay, And the other side of the world, there's a man who wakes up every day and thinks I have a headache. Yes, but I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just going to figure out what, how to work through this day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean about the show. Just being so much more than just parenting. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all aspects of life. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, so I know, so your newest book, Zen Parenting, I think was inspired by the conversations you have on the Mm -hmm. podcast after Mm -hmm. all these years. And I know from listening that I think you started the book years ago and it's kind of been this labor of love. (laughs) Yes. So a lot of people listening are are aspiring authors or Mm -hmm. writing their next book and it could be a lonely, long, hard process and there's self-publishing and there's publishing company and there's just so Mm -hmm. many ways to go. So just curious to hear your story. Like, why did you decide to sit down and write the book? What kept you going? And then how did you decide to go to the route of a, a traditional publishing company? Oh boy. It's, it's a long story that I will try and condense. Um, but basically, as I, as I said, I wrote a book, um, you know, when my girls were little and I self-published it, never even considered publishing it traditionally. Um, mostly because I was not up to the challenge of being rejected. And I knew that was a big part of it. And I also wasn't willing to wait because I wanted the book in my hands because I was teaching a lot of classes, Um, I was teaching small classes around Chicagoland and I wanted it. I wanted it to give to people or I wanted people to purchase it, whatever way it it worked out. So the first, and and I wrote a second book that was similar to that, actually a third book, but it was the third. So the first two were self-published. And so that process was completely me, all the editing, everything. And you will see that I made plenty of mistakes in there. Like you can tell one person did that. Mm. Um, even though I still feel proud in the sense that it got accomplished, you know, you always look back. It's, I always listen to like actors and, and, um, and singers who, you know, they'll look back at old songs they've written and be like, Oh, it's kind of cringy. It's kind of embarrassing. You still love it, but it is a little cringy Mm -hmm. because you're not that person anymore. Um, so that's kind of how I feel. And then the third book that I wrote, I decided to kind of go this middle place. Um, it was, uh, it was, the book was similar to the first two, but it was like a lot more essays and a lot more, I felt like sharing deep, deeper. And so I went to a small publisher who, um, they were, so I had some, like I had a team behind me, but it was really still being driven by me. I think we would call it more like a hybrid version. Like they were, it was not traditional publishing. I didn't have an agent, none of those kind of things. They just were a friend of a friend introduced me, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So I put out that book and that was a good experience. You know, it had a little more, um, you know, a little more connection and had legs where it stuck around a little longer. And then I had an experience where, you know, a lot of time went by, I think that was like 2008, 2009, and I was still writing all the time. And I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of experiences I had, like I went to see Tara Moore who wrote, um, playing big, I kept in touch with her and I was at one of her, you know, talks one time. And, and she said, Kathy, you just have to, you just have to jump in just to see what it's like. Like, I remember her being like, just like go in and deal with the rejection and, and just see what it's like, because it doesn't really matter to you. Right. Like if you're willing to self-publish and it's not about the money, it's not about any of that, just see And then I was like, okay. And so I started emailing everybody 
um, trying to figure out where they got an agent. And then that's, that's, that was a, a year and a half of itself, um, mm-hmm. where I reached out to a woman who I happened to meet. It, see, this story is so random, but the reason I'm telling these pieces is you never know how this is going to go. I used to be on this radio show all the time in Chicago, WGN uh, broadcast out of Chicago. And I used to be like a guest expert on one of these shows. And I would always be sitting in the green room with this woman who's a fitness expert. And so we became friends. I don't know how I figured it out, but I realized she was editing books. And so I reached back out to her. She said, let me edit this for you. She introduced me to an agent. And then that's, so it was so random. Like I, I could have never predicted. I love my agent. She's wonderful. But the first book I wrote, which was very different than what I ended up with was rejected by everybody. And everybody was saying, this is too much of a saturated industry. Um, you know, this is what you're writing about. There's already so many books. Um, I thought it was different, but they did not. Mm. So I did, I'd had a ton of rejection, like a year and a half of like, you know, I was kind of a joke with my family. I'm like, guys, another email. And I had you know <laughs> read it and they'd be like, this is great. But, and then COVID happened and there was more like, okay, how do we deal like a lot of the language that I was using around uncertainty and unpredictability all of a sudden became really interesting to people. Um, and then that was where I actually ended up with um, uh, two publishers who were interested in this publisher that I went with is um, was kind of one that I was shooting for, you know, I was hoping mm-hmm. to, to work with, with this publisher. So it worked out, but it took about, I don't know, this process three or four years. And And the whole time I was writing though, I think that one of the differences when people come to me and they say they want to write a book, I'm like, do you like to write? And if they say, no, I just want to have a book out there. I'm like, well, that's a whole different animal. Like, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I like to write no matter what. So even if the book is not out, I really like the process. So, you know, again, maybe for another show, we'll just talk about writing, Um, but that was kind of the road. And now it comes out February 1st. So. That, like, that's so exciting. Now, yeah. did you, so the way that it's structured and I hope I'm saying it right. Chakras. I used chakras. to say chakras, yeah, but it's too. chakras now. Okay. All yeah. of us yogis in you know the United States, it's chakras, but it is chakras. It is CH, which was something, you know, when you are already using a framework that is, you know, widely known, universally known. You want, I just want to make sure I'm saying the language, right? So yes, yes. Chakras. yes. And I know how you are very specific with your words, which <laughs> yeah. I really respect. Right. Um, so I, that's how the book's structured. Yeah. And even the cover I can see, it's kind of reminds me of it. Um, so did you have that framework to begin with, or did you have a lot of ideas and then it kind of worked into that framework? And I guess for those listening who don't know what the chakras are, if you could just give a little background. Sure. So chakras is a, uh, it, it's our energy, it's the energy centers in our body. And as a yogi and as someone who's always been interested in holistic health, um, it's always been, I talk about chakras, like I talk about everything, you know, it's the way I talk about, um, my own body and the way I deal with illness and, and, and just, uh, even challenges that I'm having, I focus on chakras in my body. So the explanation is, is that there's seven energy centers that they all have, um, a kind of a specific purpose or an understanding within them. And that sometimes when something isn't going well, or when something you're feeling uncomfortable physically or mentally in some way that there could be a blockage. So before I kind of go through the seven chakras, one thing I want to say is if this framework, because this framework is not meaningful to my husband, really, like this framework is not meaningful to a lot of people who are not interested in Ayurvedic medicine or yoga or um, Reiki, it it just doesn't mean anything. And if that's the case, that's okay, because the chakras can also just be a structure or a scaffolding to talk about a lot of issues that come up with our own self-awareness and with parenting. So I didn't write the book in a way that said, if you don't, if you don't, and I'm putting this in air quotes, believe in chakras, this won't mean anything to you. You don't have to believe in anything. Mm-hmm. All you have to look at is how all of these issues happen to affect our life and how the best way I could frame them out because of who I am. Cause you kind of have to write to who you are, right? Like I know a lot of people say, you know, look at the world and what's going on, then write about what other people need. And I'm like, well, I agree with that, but I also kind of feel like I got to write what I, this is how I think. So the seven chakras are the root chakra, um, which is like our grounding element. 
Um, you know, that's like, I think about that in the legs, even though it's actually in the sacrum, it's like the way that we ground to the earth. Our second chakra is like our pleasure and our emotions chakra. And that is like right below the belly button, like kind of like a womb area, obviously creativity is there. And so, you know, that's where we also carry children for as at least women do. Um, and then our, the third chakra is our solar plexus, or we can just say the, you know, the center of us, you know, it's it's like who we are, our sense of identity. And our fourth chakra is our heart chakra. And that is our, you know, sense of being loved or being able to love our empathy, our compassion. And then even though the fourth chakra is where I put a lot of my energy, the, the chakra that I'm always most interested in is the fifth, which is the throat. Because if you, this is a good example of why chakras are a good scaffolding is if you do not feel grounded, if you do not understand your emotions and your creative path, if you do not know who you are, and if your heart is not open, it is very hard to vocalize who you are. So this, this, the throat chakra gets very, I will I use a language blocked, especially for women, which is who I tend to work with most of the time, or actually the, all the time. That's who I work with. Um, and because sometimes this is the space where it's like, how do you speak who you are if you're unsure of who you are? Um, and then after the throat chakra, we have the sixth chakra, which is what people would call the third eye. Um, but that is our intuition, our imagination, our ability to dream something we haven't experienced yet. And then the seventh chakra is just our connection. It's the top of the head, our connection to everything. So you know, and again, it doesn't have to be so esoteric. It's like, don't we know that we're interconnected? Like COVID taught us that if nothing else did, like we affect each other, me going out in the world makes a change for the person I run into the people I'm driving in front of, like we are interconnected and we can look at that in a really spiritual way or just a very literal way, which is why like my publisher, my editor was like, do you think chakras is the best way to do this? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I don't, know another way. This is the way that it works for me in my mind. And I, as you know, as you know, listening to the show, I don't force things on people like look at this any way you want to. And, you know, like when you break something down, you don't have to use the terminology I use, but can you see how all of these pieces come together to make a whole person? So if you use chakras or anything else there, these are all the elements that make a whole person. Yeah. And I love, like I said, the image on the cover is the building blocks. Cause like you said, you do have to, they do kind of stack one onto the next. If your root chakra, if your basic needs aren't being met, if you don't have enough to eat, you don't have a warm home, you're not going to be able to be balanced in your heart. And, you know, so I just, I like that image of the building blocks that, that, kind of, you know, that we need to, in order to get to the, the higher part and to feel interconnected with exactly. Other and, and you will know, because you've seen the cover, the blocks are not sturdy Yes, <laughs> I, on purpose. The blocks are a little off. And the reason is because we are human beings. And so you never get to a place. I mean, I'm sure we have enlightened moments where we're like, oh my gosh, I feel so in alignment, you know, after a great yoga class or a great experience, or, you know, it, we have those moments that I would call enlightenment, but they don't sustain. We are human beings walking on the earth. And so you're always going to be a little off in some areas, which is my definition of what balance is, where you it's not about saying I need to fix this and get perfect. It's like, where am I a little off here? Where am I a little off here? And then paying attention to that in that moment, there is no way to get to a place where everything is in constant alignment. It's, it's impossible. Um, so I liked that the image was a little skewed. So people mm -hmm. know that this book is not about how to get in perfect alignment. It's not, it's how to deal with the unpredictability and the uncertainty of our lives and have a sense of peace with that. Like uh, trusting that you are, you know, one of the compliments you gave me at the beginning is you said, sometimes when I listened, I realized I wasn't alone or that what I was doing is normal or my experiences were normal. That's what I believe in. I don't believe in getting to this higher place where we're more special than anybody else. It's about, we're actually all doing this together. This, there's a common humanity here and we don't need to have this all perfect. But, you know, one of the quotes in the book uh, from a Zen master is, you know, this paradoxical thinking of you're perfect just the way you are, but you could also use a little work. <laughs> and that's kind <laughs> of the, that's kind of the place that this book is, is who you are is inherently wonderful, but if you're having difficult conversations and they're not going well, or 
you aren't connecting with your child, there's also some places that you may want to take a look. So, Hmm. and I just, your, your episode this week, you talked about jargon and about, and I really, I was like, Oh, it's something I hadn't thought of. And like the words we use in specific communities. So we're, you know, I'm in the kids yoga community and yoga, Mm -hmm. and there's so much, so much jargon (laughs) in Mm -hmm. wellness and in yoga. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw a great post yesterday, someone saying like, she used to work with a coach years ago, like a wellness coach, but it was all about fixing her, mm-hmm. what she could do to fix herself. And she talked about this like Western wellness idea of perfection. Mm-hmm. There's so many messages that are like, if you do these things, like mm-hmm. you are going to have it all like, which first of all, I don't think that exists. So that's already like red flag. I'm like, but I think a lot of us, especially people new to yoga can kind of get trapped into that, this messaging, which I think we're more aware now, especially these last few years, people are like talking more, but, um, I'm just curious, like, have you, I know it's like, you don't force your message on people. Did you, were, were you ever at a place within yoga and wellness where you kind of got lost in that messaging of this idea of perfection? Um, or have you always felt like you had a good grasp of like, no, wait, it's much more complicated than that. Oh no, I was very lost like several, several, several times. Like everything I preach now is a product of my experiences. Like I, um, I started listening to what we would call self-help tapes. I don't love the language self-help because we're never really doing it by ourselves, but I'll just use it because people understand it. Um, I started listening to self-help tapes when I was 16 and I thought I was so special. I mean, I was like, Oh, I just know how the world works and I'm going (laughs) to do this. And, you know, I was listening to Wayne Dyer before he became spiritual when it was all about psychology and all you need to do is go out there and smile. And if you smile, people will like you better. And I just was like, thought I was just so that these, and again, this is, again, I love paradox because it did help me and it was great, but it also made me think that there was something I had that other people didn't. And that was the error of my ways. And then as I continued on, I kept like, I used education and teacher trainings and certifications to make myself feel better as a human. Like, you know, I did obviously my undergrad and then I got my master's degree and then I went for another master's degree. And then I got a certification in parent coaching. And I just used education to say, look how much I know, look how much I know, which again, that's what education is. But I was searching for something that, that was much deeper Um, that was like, I, I felt like I needed to prove something. I didn't feel worthy in myself. And I wanted to have all these external examples of why I knew what I was talking about. And then basically what happened is, I mean, so many things happen. I had miscarriages. I had depression. I, my dad got sick, um, and he was chronically ill for, for 17 years, um, my, I dealt with so much anxiety, um, migraines, like I already shared, like I totally hit the floor. Like I was driven to my knees where I'm like, okay, what, and what, and then parenting overall, like you don't have to have any of those things. I just said, just parenting drives you to your knees where you're like all these things I've learned, these structures or these reasons. I think I'm so special. They don't really work here because all this kid wants from me is just show up and they don't care what my degree is. So I had to go. Um, I went into, you know, I, I had kind of always been part of therapy because I was a therapist myself, but I was, you know, I got deeper into therapy, deeper into a spiritual understanding that was again, less connected to that perfectionism that you're talking about and much more connected to about to humanity, you know, like who am I as a human? How do I feel about myself? And I was driven there by pain. Like, I gotta be honest, like it wasn't something that I woke up and was, it wasn't a joy filled experience, but I also have such a deeper appreciation. Like I am always still working on this and always still practicing. And, but the things I used to think about versus what I think about now are like night and day. Mm. Um, And I also, something that I share in the book and that I've shared on the show is I had a lot of teachers who were really harmful to me. Um, I had a lot of spiritual teachers who were spiritually abusive to me, um, who acted like parents and basically told me I was doing things wrong. And a lot of it was so they could continue getting money. And a lot of it was power. And I also had some, um, me too experiences, you know, hashtag me too experiences where, uh, in work situations where I had to, um, work that through and be honest about what happened. And so 
a lot of my, as anybody in life, a lot of the things I've learned or the way I teach now is based on how I know I don't ever want to be taught again. You know, I learned how to become a teacher because of great teachers and because of awful teachers. The thing that's most important to me though, is a lot of these things happened in through Western and Eastern means, meaning some of my teachers were in a Western model and I was harmed by them. And some of them were in an Eastern model and I was harmed, but I didn't throw away any of it. I I still, I still love yoga. I still love body work. I still love, um, my, you know, all my theories and my Western, um, learning, but I know that I know how to, um, now process through what's really most valuable and to take myself into account rather than think somebody else has all the answers for me. It's a very fine line. It's why, you know, you listen to my show this week. It's why I talk a lot about cults and cultish Mm -hmm. thinking, because I had a lot of experiences like that. And they have now in hindsight benefited me, but it's not something I would have chosen. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that because I think probably everyone who's very deep in the yoga community has experienced Mm -hmm. that on some level. And I'm not saying it's just yoga, it's everywhere. Um, But as my community as kids, yoga teachers, that's what we're, the way that we're teaching yoga, I'm hoping is it's, it's, it's a much broader lens and it tends to be all eight limbs and include a lot of the philosophy and a lot of self-awareness and that the answers are in you. So I think that's our obligation. If we're sharing yoga with children, we need to share the full practice and separate it from ourselves and us as the teacher that knows everything and give the responsibility and the confidence to to children. Because I'm hoping like if we plant those seeds young, they'll have instead of for us in our 30s, 40s, 50s, figuring out, ooh, a lot of that, that that wasn't right, being able to start maybe at, at a more at a purer place for them. Like to not, you know, if there's something that we could help our kids with to not force them to unlearn so much later on, like, can we just like go in and we're not going to, again, not going to do it perfectly. It's just like, even when I was teaching family yoga with kids, like allowing them to create their own poses, allowing them to show you how it feels good in their body. And that like, the, the yoga classes. And I still have this experience where I, I know now what feels good in my body. And a teacher will come over to me and say, that's wrong. Your hand needs to be like this. And I'm always like, Oh, like mm-hmm. I understand you have some wisdom from your teacher and you may not know how long I've been practicing. I don't, again, I don't want to be like, no, you don't understand. I'm good at this, you mm-hmm. know, but I also am like, there is no inherent right and wrong. There is a way of learning and you can get structures like I I appreciated what Todd said on the show the other day is sometimes you learn a model so then you can break the model. So of course, in yoga, you have to learn alignment. You have to learn, like you said, all of the philosophy and the understanding, and then you can kind of be like, and then I'd rather stretch this way and this feels better, or this pose doesn't work in my body. And that's okay. Like how many times have we been told if this pose doesn't work for you, then this is the one you should be doing every day. I'm like, really? It's kind of like saying to kids who are like, they struggle with math, but they love English. Well, I'm going to give you more math classes then. It's like, why not focus on English? Because that seems to be where they're enjoying themselves. So, you know, I appreciate what you are doing with kids in that way, because their love of yoga will grow if they're given the freedom to appreciate it and not a lecture about how it's supposed to be. Yes, because they're getting that everywhere else. (laughs) So it's like at least... When they're coming to yoga, we have that ability to be like, no, how does it feel for you? How does it feel? It's not how it looks. It's how it feels. That alone, growing up as a dancer and doing competitions and being in front of a mirror and stuff. I mean, that's why I, I just love the fact that I'm like, oh, we, when I first found kids yoga, I was like, oh, we could be present with them. We could see who they are. We could let them be who they are. You know, it's just, it's such a gift. Um, so yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. I am so passionate. That's another thing about like just the wellness world in general and where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do, I did also want to ask you, um, just cause I love your perspective so much this pandemic time. So what are we a year and a half in even yeah. more? Um, if you had to pinpoint one big lesson or takeaway that you've noticed from this time, what would that be? Um, I think it's the thing that I've always been working on, but then got like, had to work on it 
no, it like literally every day, which is I can only do this day. I can only do right now. And, and again, it starts to sound really cliche because we talk about mindful, you know, mindfulness has become so mainstream that people say things like just be present. And I don't know if they really know what that means, like what it really means to, to be like, I'm really only going to do like right now, Jessica, like I'm with you. And this is what I'm doing right now. And I, my practice, and again, COVID drove this home for me is I know that there's other things I have to do afterwards and there's things tomorrow and next week, but I am only going to put my attention on you and this moment now, because not only does that feel good. And I feel like talk about alignment. Like I feel like all my pieces are here. Um, but it also is really the only thing that's real (laughs) because if I was with you right now, thinking about what I have to do in two hours, that's not even real. Like, that's just like a, that's just like a brain creation. And then if things don't work out in two hours, the way that my brain wanted them to, then I somehow think I've failed. Like it's this process, COVID really made us say, what can I do right now? Cause I can't go out to a restaurant. I can't go see my family. I'm not quite sure where is safe. I'm not quite sure who, who is safe. I, so we were like really buckled down where we had to say, what am I going to do right now? And while I feel like there was many parts of my life, especially when I was in crisis, I, I had to practice that. I had to practice that. We all did as you know, universally, all of us did for a really significant amount of time. And we're still doing it right. There's still Mm -hmm. moments that I'm like, I don't know, you know, I'm making all these plans for next year, as far as this book release. And I'm like, who knows, like, will I really be going there? Will. And so everything kind of has a lightness to it now that instead of getting excited and spending my day thinking about something I'm going to do in December, now I spend my day thinking about the day, you know, and again, it's Mm -hmm. still a practice. I, I, I still have mornings where I am thinking about tomorrow, but that's what I, that's my biggest lesson from this time is I was forced to practice something continuously over a long period of time. Mm, Yeah. And it's interesting as someone who already had an established yoga practice, mindfulness practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's like, oh, and now I'm here now I'm really putting this in practice. It's yeah. like, you have no choice, yeah. but to, to live that. I, I totally understand. And yeah. listening to your podcast throughout the pandemic was like, you know, very helpful because I would just be, I think for so long when we were really isolated in that really isolated time, like just mm-hmm. to hear um, how you were processing it and going through it. I just mm-hmm. want to let you know that, that, was so beneficial to hear that, to hear you and Todd, your perspectives and then what was going on. So, well, thank you. I I'm, I'm so grateful. Honestly, I don't know what I said. Like if you were, sometimes I get emails from people and they'll say now a few weeks ago, you said, blah, blah, blah. What did you mean? And I I don't, I don't remember. I I don't, it, which is part of, this is the trade-off is you and I are talking right now and you and I are very present and I will get off this call And then Todd will say, you know, how to go or what were the questions? And I won't remember. And I don't think that's like a 50 year old brain thing. I think presence means that sometimes it's not going into memory because I don't have any planned responses. Like, right. And so I, I think I'm glad that that time was helpful to you because I was going through the same thing you were going through, you know, like Mm -hmm. there was no, I didn't wake up and say, I'm great. And other people aren't like there. I was scared. Um, I was so sad for my girls who, you know, my daughter was in high school, you know, it was her last year of high school. Um, everybody has a story like that, right? It was my daughter's first year of middle school. Like there is Mm -hmm. no good situation. Um, so yeah, but we got through it. We're we're getting, how about I put that in a different term? We're getting through it. We're learning that we can do this. We're just having to use different tools. Yeah. Well, and then that's why then your book coming out with the the theme Mm. of uncertainty. Yeah. I, I just want to quickly go back to something you said, you said you had written a version that was then rejected over and over. Uh And then what, I'm just curious, what changed in the newer version? Was it mainly that the pandemic happened and this concept of uncertainty was like, oh, we know what you mean. Or did you, did the pandemic also make you kind of re reframe it in a different lens? Good question. I a little of both. So what I really tried to pitch was a day book. 
something where there was something to read every day. And it was a little more of the practice of what, what I would call Zen parenting, um, which is not like a parenting method, by the way, Zen parenting is like, it's about living in the uncertainty. It's like probably the least definable thing there is. So whenever anyone's like, well, I'm a Zen parent, I'm like, well, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) That word doesn't, (laughs) that mean that word means you're uncertain. So, um, but what, I, I was trying to do like a day book and people, publishers, um, my agent was all for it, but publishers were like, we, you know, nobody really wants this. And then, but I still had the same language around unpredictability and uncertainty. I was really, um, I've been very not motivated. What's the word I'm looking for? I, um, inspired by Mark Nepo's book of awakening. Oh yeah, That book has meant so much to me. I read it every, well, not every day, but majority of days still I've read it year after year after year. And I always get something different from it. He is a man. He experienced cancer. He is older than me. We have nothing in common, like, but there's something about the universality, another, I'm making up another word, the universalness (laughs) of his message that I could relate to. And that's what I was trying to create for myself and, you know, to publish that was not wanted, but what they said is, can you make this into more of a narrative book? Can you try and take all these messages and write about it more in a chapter form? So that was, um, that was work. Like I had to really kind of redo everything, but it flowed. Like, it wasn't like they were asking me to write a different, they weren't asking me to write about something different. They asked me to put it in a different structure. Mm -hmm. So that's why it changed. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So really just, the way the information was delivered and Correct. But it's the same messaging. You got it. Um, okay. I, I wanted to, we're, we're getting to the end of our time. So I always wrap up with what I call a kid's yoga gem. Mm-hmm. And depending on who I'm talking to, it's either a kid's, a piece of advice for kids, yoga teachers or parents. Um, for you, I, I think just for children, for people working with children, raising children in general, if you gave one piece of advice that mm-hmm. you think, is just the most important. There's so much, but, um, what would your gem be? There is so much, but I think the thing that I find that I'm always talking about is making sure we stand back from our kids and remember that they are their own people. And I, I want to like dive deeper into that as a parent, we often see our kids and we decide who they are and what their skills are. And we start to create their life for them in our minds of they should do this and they should go here and this is who they are. And that can be really detrimental because what we end up doing is we start telling our kids who they are. It's all in good intention because we're like, but I noticed their skills or I noticed their gifts. So I totally understand why we do this. And we do this as yoga teachers, right? We'll say, you're great at this, or this you're wonderful at, or, or I love the way you do this. And there's nothing wrong with giving compliments, but when a, when a kid, we have to have enough space. So the kid knows that there's room for them to actually say who they feel they are. It's kind of a different version of, we were talking about asking kids what feels good in their body. Now it's like, who do you feel that you are in your body? Because you may have a kid who loves to dance around the house, but that's not what they want to do in school that they may, or a kid who loves to sing. And we like, you got to get in singing lessons and this is going to be your career. And that may not be what they want. And there needs to be space for them to tell us who they are. And this gets really deep because this is about not only their activities and their education, but their sexuality, their gender, their desires in life, their connection to people. Like we have to back up a little. So our kids have space to share who they are rather than us telling them. And this is this we can get in protective mode with kids where we're like, I just want to tell you all the great things about you. And sometimes we go the other way and we say, you suck at this and you suck at this. And, and those things, it's okay to share our opinion as long as there's some space where they know there's still possibility for them to share with us and that we will hear it. That's the other part. I mean, that goes into another thing. Can we hear what our kids tell us, even if it's not what we expected? So that's, that's the uncertainty and unpredictability. And they may say a year later, now I want to go back to this or now, and we don't need to go into, but you told me you didn't like this. I didn't then, but now I do it all, you know, 
Jessica, the, the, like the moral of the story is all human beings want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be validated and they want to be free. And that of course we have rules and structures and boundaries and community obligations and expectations. But within that, we want to know we can be who we are. So if we can carry that with us as adults, when we're working with kids, I think they will absolutely love being with us. <laughs> yes. It's that we forget that this is a entirely new human being who has come into the world who only they know who they are. We've got all of our preconceived notions of that means this, this means that. I love how you put it to just take that step back. And as a parent, I, it's challenging sometimes because you feel like you see, you you want to, you feel like it could be helpful sometimes, but it's finding that taking that breath and stepping back. And now with you, I'm sure my children are young, your children are older. I can imagine as they get older, then that manifests in different ways, them showing you in different ways at deeper levels, like you said, who they are. And Mm -hmm. they, you've set that precedent that you are open and that you see it and that you're willing to hear them. So thank you for that. That is, and that, and that goes for teachers too. everything you said, any student you're working with, I think it's the same thing. And that's the thing about the, about the Zen parenting book is that what I know for sure is if you go through this process of kind of looking at all these aspects of yourself in the structure that I'm, you know, I'm using, which is chakras or just looking at all these parts of yourself and you start to realize that, you know, who you are inherently, and you trust who you are, then you understand your kids know too. But see, if we have gone through our lives doing whatever anybody else told us to do, then we think that that's what we're supposed to do for our kids. But again, as we said through this interview, we end up having to unlearn all those things to really find out who we are. You know, the majority of my clients are in between 35 and 60, and they're trying, they're having a spiritual awakening or a dark night of the soul, or just a a personal awareness where they're like, who am I? And why don't we help our kids know that early so they don't have to have a midlife crisis about it? And they can actually like go into the world as their fully formed selves. And then they can allow everyone else to be that. That decreases all these issues we have in our society of not accepting people and us and them. And it, it just makes all these, you know, it's, it sounds very pie in the sky, but I really do believe it's our way back to each other. Me too. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Thank you so much. I want people to find all of your work. So the podcast, the new book. Um, so can you just point us in the direction of the best way to get all of that? You bet. I would just use zenparentingradio.com. That is like our, like, you know, that's our website everything's there. There's a lot there, but we tried to identify at the top. It's like my Zen parenting moment that you can subscribe to, which is this, that's free. The podcast, you can get on any app. And then my book is on that page. Zenparentingradio.com is really the best place to go. Obviously to get the book Zen parenting, you can go to any, it's everywhere. You know, it's on all the booksellers and there's actually a, like a, if you go to the Zen parenting radio page and you click on pre-order, it'll even take you to a bunch of indie booksellers. So you can get it wherever you want. Okay, great. And I know pre-orders help, right? I know it's coming out February, but the more pre-orders there are that tells the publisher there's interest. So everyone interested, definitely get your pre-order. I know I already did after the the episode you talked about it. Yes. Those things do matter. That is the thing about traditional publishing is now I realize it's not just me. There's other <laughs> right. people expecting me to do. So I do appreciate that push. Um, yeah. And I think, I think people appreciate it. Like this book is not preachy. It's um, very focused on compassion toward yourself and others. So I think if you were to read it, you would probably feel better. Not like there's more things you need to do. So I believe in it. Yes. That's the kind of parenting book. The only kind I will read. <laughs> right. Right. So Kathy, thank you so much. It, like I said, it's, it's such, such a pleasure to talk to you and it was really um, even more than I expected. So thank you for taking the time to be here today. Thank you, Jessica. I loved our conversation and thank you for doing the work you do. I thank really so appreciate what you're doing in the world. Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to support the Kids Yoga Podcast, here are a few ways you can do that. Visit www.thekidsyogapodcast.com. Here you'll see a link to my Patreon page, 
and you will see different monthly subscriptions which will offer you added benefits. You can also contact me through the website and see all of the episodes that have been released so far. In addition, I truly appreciate those five-star reviews and ratings because it just brings so many more people to the show and it just means the world. So if you feel compelled, a rating and review and press that subscribe button as well. So if you want to get in touch, shoot me an email, thekidsyogapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow The Kids Yoga Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Again, thank you so much for being here.